and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. I regularly write for MoneyWise magazine, The Some Money Online, The Love Money website and somewhat randomly, The South China Morning Post. And I'm Emma Wilkinson. I've been a freelance journalist for 15 years now and I write about medicine, health, science stuff. You will mainly find me in specialist magazines. So Emma and I have put this podcast together to complement a book that we spent most of last year writing called Freelancing for Journalists. And we now know that it's going to be out in July 2020, which is very exciting. Yay! Finally, finally. So, like I said, to complement the book, we decided, why don't we do a podcast? Why don't we get some guests in and talk to them about their experience? Um, Particularly since Emma and I also work part-time as lecturers, we were very much aware that there's not an awful lot of freelance journalism taught on journalism courses. So, we wanted to expose our students to that, but also give advice and maybe some of those trade secrets to staff journalists that are perhaps looking at stepping into the world of freelancing. Yeah, it can be a really secretive world. Until you're doing it, Yeah, there's a lot that nobody ever talks about or that you don't know about. So we're trying to lift the lid a bit on some of that um, and we're covering a range, a load of different topics. Uh, this week, our topic is going to be on where is the freelance work? Yeah, definitely. And and obviously, if you're starting out, then, you know, where do you start? Where should you be looking for work? We're in a world now where it's not just, you know, your traditional print newspapers or the BBC that you would pitch to. There is a whole range of different media organisations, publications, broadcasters, sort of digital, print, every which way. So it's really about where should you be looking to find your niche and to find regular work. Yeah, and that can often be found in quite unexpected places. So that's something we're going to delve into in a bit more detail. To guide us through this, we have got uh, David Whitley, who is a freelance travel writer, and Tasha Jagger, a freelance film journalist. But before we get started, we're going to kick off each episode with our top freelance hack, That one bit of advice we wish we'd known from the get-go that would have made life a lot easier. So I'm going to kick this off this week and my top tip is going to be about looking beyond the obvious when looking for work. When I started out freelancing, I always wanted to work for magazines and I started pitching a lot to women's magazines, mostly because this seemed to be the obvious thing to do. And I had uh, friends in those magazines that passed on contacts to me but actually I got absolutely nowhere with this and I wasted quite a lot of time pitching to them and I think what I found was that the market is is shrinking really particularly in women's magazines and there's a lot of people out there already doing a fantastic job so my approach then was to go niche and make contacts at smaller consumer magazines and I actually found that they were super keen for content So I ended up writing regularly for a magazine called Vegan Living and also MoneyWise magazine, a personal finance magazine. So really I found that kind of going niche rather than going for the obvious was where to find the work. What about you, Emma? Um, Well, yeah, mine follows on quite nicely from that. So mine is to be open to work from 
any source. Um, I mean, obviously, kind of always do your due diligence and check a company out and that they're going to be able to pay you, etc. But as a journalist, you've actually got lots of transferable skills and you are quite likely to end up doing stuff you'd not initially planned for. Um, so for me, I have done everything. I've organised speakers at conferences. I've provided advice on website redesigns. Um, and I also do a lot of editing scientific papers and reports. My first degree was in um, biomedical science before I moved over to journalism. Um, and for a lot of scientists who've got English as a second language, they want to kind of polish up the spelling and grammar. I've done loads of other editing and rewriting jobs that's just about making scientific waffle readable. And in all those cases, in the first instance, people came to me because they knew me from other work and had kind of seen the the transferable skills that I had. Um, so it's just about being open to that and not immediately thinking, oh no, that that's not what I do. Because um, actually, you know, that can be quite a fruitful source of income. Yeah, and I guess there's loads of um, transfer transferable skills that, that you can do for other lines of work. And can I just jump in at this point and say Emma's been very modest here um, in her introduction because she's actually now an award-winning journalist. I did win an award. Uh, who was that for? That was for the that was the Pharmacy Media Awards. I've been a Pharmacy Media Awards. I was Freelancer of the Year. Now, I don't know if I was the only Freelancer of the Year to enter, but even so. <laughs> I'm sure not. I'm, not. I'm sure not. <laughs> right, so on to our topic. This episode, we're discussing where to find the freelance work. So let's bring in our guests who both work for a range of publications within their area of expertise. David, you were based in Australia for five years, I believe, before moving back to the UK. And I've got here a list of some of your publications. So you've written for uh, National Geographic Traveller, The Guardian, Telegraph, Independent, Sunday Times and Metro, plus the Sydney Morning Herald, Sun Herald over in Australia. I'm sure the list goes on. So Anyone who pays me, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so to start us off, what is your top tip for finding freelance work? Um, my editors will absolutely detest me for this, but my motto is always follow up twice because it's not necessarily chances are they're not ignoring you they've just not read yeah. the email and it slipped down their inbox and it's disappeared i've got so much work from just being the annoying one that keeps following up until they get a yes or no and there's obviously there's a certain level with the editors you don't know yeah. where that's not going to work but editors you do know Couple, couple of followers keep prodding them put big capitals in the subject line until they get so annoyed with you they have to respond yeah that's a really really good tip actually and it's something i i do and and whenever i get a editor that's relatively new the first thing i ask them is like do you mind if i chase you up and like is there a limit on the number of times because i have some editors even now that commission me regularly who i have to email five or six times yeah, before they respond yeah so yeah, I, that's that's really useful. Just it's not that they're ignoring you. Quite often, it's just they haven't seen your email. It's gone to the bottom of the list. And I guess the other thing as a freelance, even if you're not a travel light writer, it doesn't matter where you live, does it? You you can be working for anyone from anywhere. Yeah, I'm, I've worked. I started out freelancing for Australian papers, and I've still got those contacts. I moved back here in 2006. Yeah. So I've been working for. The Australian papers for 14 years now but um, I've managed to build up some really random gigs in 
Abu Dhabi, in Canada, odd bit for New Zealand, in-flight magazines in Hong Kong and Singapore. There's a big English-speaking world yeah. out there. And even if you're like me and got very basic schoolboy Spanish and French and no other languages, there are so many um, publications in overseas markets that you can write for and often they will take stories that um that will not be touched by your clients in the uk yeah 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 and um, i can see here you also write uh for a fair few websites so you've got msn travel stylist.co.uk roundtheworldflights.com you've worked as freelance for about the same time length of time yeah. i have so and um, what changes have you seen in terms of the potential places that you can write for um for me, it's kind of weirdly gone the opposite way around. When I started out, I was doing a lot more web stuff than I am now. Um, but there are there are pa- papers that are trying to do web stuff. And I think one thing that's important is to realise that the things that work in print don't necessarily work online. And if you can work out what they're wanting for their online content, a lot of other people in your boat won't be. Because um, for my Australian papers... The, I get a lot of online-only commissions from them because I'm good at doing the list stuff and doing the stuff that has an attention-grabbing hook. Not necessarily clickbait, where you're um, promising one thing and delivering another, but you need some sort of hook that's going to get people thinking, oh, I want to know about that. And that should be right at the for- forefront of the web piece. And a lot of other um, journalists don't seem to get that as much, that you have, to got, have got to write it differently for web. So... If you can work on that and begin to understand what works and what gets the clicks online, then you are automatically higher up in the queue than a lot yeah, of the competition. Opening up those opportunities. And it's yeah. important, yeah, realising that actually different types of publications want different things, different kinds of outlets want different things. Yeah. And so actually you can uh, get the most bang for your book almost out of by, you know, doing one trip and yeah. writing them for several different publications wanting different And it's about seeing and... the story in that way. For example, when I went to Philadelphia last year, there is a tiny museum about Tedeus Kosciuszko, who's a Civil War hero. That's not going to be of interest to anyone in the UK. But in Australia, the highest mountain's called Kosciuszko. It's named after him, even though he never went there. So I pitched it as how Australia's highest mountain got its name. And that was a good story. And that worked really well online. And it wouldn't have worked anywhere else because it was a quite boring, tiny museum. Yeah. But for half an hour walking around a museum, I got an, an extra story out of it. So, yeah, that sort of thing. If you can keep your eye out for something that will click in that way with a certain audience, then you can get extra work out of it. Yeah. So, Tasha, I'm going to bring you in here. Um, just full disclosure, uh, Tasha's actually one of our former journalism students here at Sheffield Hallam, where Emma and I both teach part time. And you've been freelancing, well, I, I was going to say since you graduated in 2018, but you actually were freelancing whilst you were a student here as well. Just to start us off, though, what would be your top tip for getting started and finding that first freelance job? I'm very active on Twitter, and I find like the more I follow industry people, the more opportunities come up, because most of the times, so most of the places that I've written for the editors or commissioning editors have popped their email on saying that they're looking for pictures. Right. So that way it's like, oh, people recommend you for it. So um, a magazine editor actually recommended me for Digital Spy. And I find it quite a good way of making contacts through that. 
So what was the first piece of paid work that you got? Who was that for? <clears throat> that was the guy. Um, he's called Simon Brew. He used to be the editor of Denner Geek, and now he does a magazine called Film Stories Magazine. Um, he doesn't market it because he uses that money to pay people. Right. Um, so I just saw on his Twitter that he was doing the magazine and he wanted pictures, and I just sent a few over, and luckily one. I've written for him three times now, so something's going well. Yeah. So you kind of keep a lookout for those editors that have, that are putting calls out on Twitter saying, sort of send me pictures. Yeah, because I find, like, if I pitch someone who hasn't asked for pictures they just won't get back to me right or they're just not interested yeah yeah and like with film they might not be they might be after a certain type of film or specific content that yeah. some people can't provide so sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah. So it's a lot more like specialist sort of thing yeah yeah i was going to say this is going to be my next question because i do do medicine and health stuff that's quite a specialist area and that's worked out really well for me because it's a small world everybody knows yeah. each other so you you get passed on people recommend you for work etc yeah. and so film's quite a niche subject as well so how easy have you found it to kind of build up a variety of places to work for it's easy but it's also hard because like film is so niche but it's also very broad like so anybody thinks they can anyone thinks like if you go on twitter anyone thinks they're a film journalist on twitter Everyone, if you have an opinion and you're a journalist, other people who aren't a journalist will attack you for having that opinion. Similar with travel. Everyone thinks they can do travel journalism. It's, uh, everyone thinks, well, I can travel, I can write. And it's a, a similar thing. There's so much competition is not so much other journalists, it's people who think they can do it for free. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have this at all because <laughs> no, nobody yeah. thinks that they can do No medicine. one understands No, nobody else understands it. It's only, yeah... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess it's also finding work in the unexpected places as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I certainly found this and this is all going to sound a little bit meta. But when we were writing the book, the freelancing for journalists book, I was looking for a case study of someone in Asia. And I ended up interviewing someone who worked in Cambodia for the South China Morning Post. And off the back of that conversation, I actually got contact from her for someone at the South China Morning Post for a story I was trying to place in the UK, but it also had a um, Chinese angle to it because the research had been conducted in the UK and in China. And through that contact with the book, I started um, actually writing for South China Morning Post. And that now actually one of my sort of top for people that I write for. And that all just came about really through doing something entirely different. So writing for the book led to a contact that's led on to, to other work. So I just wondered, um, well, both of you really, but maybe David first, have you kind of found work in places you hadn't expected or when you weren't like necessarily looking for work? De definitely, yeah. Um, going back to social media, my Twitter account, is basically a test of patience for anyone who's trying <laughs> to follow it. Um, it's virtually nothing to do with my actual work or or politics and terrible jokes. But um, when I see an editor's followed me, I'll usually slide into the DMs and say, I may as well ask, um, are you looking for freelance work and what sort of stuff are you after? And one of those was for 
a newspaper in Abu Dhabi, which for a while, for about three years, I did end up doing about half of their city guides for them um, because they knew because the editor had followed me on Twitter and I followed up and. Uh, on other things, I've got work from tourist boards who know I know about the area. They just want some copywriting for their website and also some work for flight companies that sell flight tickets and they just want advice pieces on the website as well that aren't necessarily copywriting at all. It's They want genuine pieces about the places that they sell flights to and they wanted to stand out by having genuine content rather than wishy-washy PR stuff. Mm. I mean yeah, I was just going to say, how important is it to you to have a variety of places to work for? Because I think Lily and I have both experienced kind of a, a scenario where a freelance budget has just disappeared or been cut or an editor moves that you had a good relationship with and then that all of a sudden you're not writing for that publication I, anymore. I think every freelancer will have that. Everyone had it. It's gutting when that editor who loves you goes. Hopefully they go to another publication and pass on to the new editor that you're great, which has happened a couple of times, which is double bonus but yeah. sometimes they disappear altogether and you lose both the editor and the publication it's awful so you do need that range of publications you're working for and if one of them goes you've got to turn one of your semi-regulars into a regular if you can yeah you can't just be relying on that one no one place yeah natasha how have you gone about that have you sort of tried to get work for as many different places as possible yeah because i find like different publications tend to like be different like they i can't really describe it they have different vibes about them like little white lies is very like arty so like writing for them you have to be really like it's like i wrote about female composers for them mm. and it was definitely something that another publication wouldn't take sure they're really picky about what they choose yeah um compared to like empire um junk cut online digital spy and digital spy because i like writing about superheroes little white lies won't write about superheroes yeah. as digital spy they have a total different audience of like people who click on facebook all the time and they share like different takes of like if a film has easter eggs in them they'll try and pick out every single easter egg right. or, like I wrote a piece for them like how Iron Man, the first Iron Man film predicted his death in Endgame, which was like a whole like 10 years. I haven't in seen between. Endgame yet. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> I don't know if spoilers count when it's this many months down no, the line. It's like nearly a whole yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, Lily, you've just got to catch up. <laughs> so yeah, it's just about, I want to write about as many different things yeah. as possible. Like, I don't want to stick to like certain niches. Yeah. That's why I probably like I dipped into film PR for a while because and from that I made even more contacts. Yeah. So I think that's also a good way of like freelancing, especially in film. Yeah, and it, it's always that kind of toss up between like being niche but not being too, too niche. niche. Yeah. Yeah. I find like people do that a lot in film journalism as well. Like people who write for Little White Lies won't write anything else apart from like RT yeah. articles. Yeah. And I think those niches develop naturally as well. Um, I, I, I end up specialising in Australia, but other editors think I'm a specialist in frequent flyer points, yeah. which just things that you do a lot of, you, you end up using a bit and you soon realise I know slightly more about this than most people and that will do. Yeah. <laughs> you can that will do as expertise a lot of the time. And you'll end up getting asked to do virtually the same thing 
for several publications because they think you're the man that knows that and and you probably are compared to the rest yeah. of us you definitely are probably yeah, yeah. and I, I end up writing a lot of the aviation pages in National Geographic Traveller not a particular aviation expert but I've done them reliably and but it's also like it. I pitched an article to Little White Lies they hired me and someone else wanted me to write the article and then Little White because Little White Lies were paying me for it I was like yeah I'll do it with them and then all of a sudden, a week later, they emailed me and was like, we don't need you to do that now. And I obviously, like, then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. So that's why I like keeping my options open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I feel like anyone can let you down, like, last minute. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And if you've got a good idea, then you should be able to do that. Especially you if you're passionate about the yeah. piece you're writing about as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be able to take that to somewhere to, else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and recycle stuff as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. How, how many articles can I get out of this? I've one? written about yeah. my dad about seven times, I think. My dad was a victim of fraud and I've made quite a lot of money out of that. Yeah. <laughs> one great piece of advice I got given from another journalist was there's always a publication for which this is a new story. Yeah. Yeah. I broke up with my ex and made money out of it, so oh, well, I wrote an article for a magazine for it, so every experience <laughs> helped. <laughs> Um, I wanted to bring in, so there are various groups on Facebook, for example, for freelance journalists where work opportunities get discussed. There's also several newsletters for freelance jobs. Um, so two that come to mind, there's Sean Medes Williams, uh, freelance writing jobs. Um, and that's not just journalism, it's kind of writing stuff in general. The professional freelancer by Anna Codrirado is another one. Um, we kind of have come to this a bit latterly, but have spotted things on there that have been useful for us is this something that you've ever used to find how do you branch out to find new sources of work um i've not come across well, i have come across them but i've not used them yeah. i found networks of fellow freelancers are really handy yeah uh, there's a mm. group of about 20 of us that always always passing on leads and passing on new work to each other uh, or say oh matthew's the one for that or Lee's the one for that um, to the editors when they come to us and that helps you, you, the, you get a bit of a solidarity going on and everyone yeah. knows who to pass it to but the thing I would say is if you want to find out which articles are freelance get three or four issues of the same publication there will always be some things that are basically the format every same format every time if they've got a different byline on it every time it's almost certainly done by a freelancer each time that's the bit to pitch because that'll be the bit they find hardest to fill the yeah. regular formats yeah, yeah uh, those uh, regular the, case study things yeah that, the regular yeah. boring city guide format in my case i'm sure there's equivalent in other areas the one that's the top six hotels in or something. if that's different by a different person every um week chances are that's freelance gig not many people are volunteering for it and that's the w that's probably your way in with the publication or oh, they're hard because yes, <laughs> they are the hard fiddly jobs. Yeah, usually. like I I do my first home for the sun, um, and it's quite hard to get someone who's willing to tell you all the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of like how they've saved money, how much money they earn for a living, what they've wasted money on in the past, how they've changed their habits, and to go into a lot of detail, and it takes quite a lot of time. And they have another one, cash clinic. 
and that's even more difficult because you have to find someone who basically says i'm rubbish with money help me this is how much i fritter away my money and and then you have to kind of come up with a solution for them so i think sometimes if you put yourself forward for that that kind of work that no one else wants to do that can be another way of you know getting yourself in there with with those editors that that may may then lead on to other work and i wonder tasha you mentioned twitter are there any um facebook groups that you use for networking or finding work i don't really go on facebook that much no you're too, no. You're too young <laughs> no i i only really use facebook for like messenger now yeah but twitter is like because i think the film community is so large on twitter yeah that it's all just there yeah whereas like on facebook i don't really come across even like publications using facebook that much anymore no no i'm trying to think actually then some of the networks that we're on film journalism doesn't really no. come up very often no it must um, be a, a little separate i follow the sean one though yeah yes. my email that's yeah. a good one yeah yeah um, so, final question. Uh, you mentioned uh, doing some PR work, Tash. So, do you mm-hmm. do things o- related to journalism, other things as well as kind of copywriting, um, blogging, that kind of thing? Not at the minute. Um, I'm in the process of doing programming my own film screening. So, that's also like adding programmer to my CV as well. But um, after a few months after I finished uni, I got an internship. At, um, organic a film publicity and marketing company because I got press releases through them and I thought a way of making contacts would be to delve into the opposite side of like film journalism of how we get our yeah. stuff and it's actually really interesting because I was working on Toronto Venice Film Festival and I was going through like everyone every journalist who was like sending like can I interview these can I come to this and yeah, it was interesting. You develop quite a few contacts that way. Yeah, because yeah. the amount of the films they do, they do a lot of films, more than I thought as a journalist. Yeah. So, And obviously, like, I was looking at Word documents and all the journalists, like Telegraph, Independent, varies from the other country. And even just working at Organic as well, like, they knew me better. So I, as a journalist, as well as, like, an intern... I created a better relationship with them so they would work with me again sort yeah. of thing yeah um same question to you david do you because you've got a website i notice you do it's, some blogging and my website has been dead for about four years so uh, I'm okay. time to update it but um too I, busy it's my, good news yeah yeah <laughs> um it, mine outside journalism it's generally falling in the copywriting sort of mold where it's it's not too far different i have got a few transferable skills but i've got away with not having to use them so so far but if tourist board's going to come to me and say we need this section of the website um writing and then they will say how much you charge and it's usually twice as much as you're being paid for articles it's yep definitely yeah yeah i can do that that's fine Brilliant. Well, I think that's actually a really good place to leave it. So thank you very much to our brilliant guests, David Whitley and Tasha Jagger, for providing us with all of that really helpful advice. If you want to know more about any of this, you can check out our website at freelancingforjournalists.com, where you will find links to all those useful resources we mentioned in the podcast. We've also put those links in the episode notes. As we mentioned earlier, our book Freelancing for Journalists is out summer 2020, so keep your eyes out for that. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Jerno. 
And please do get in touch if you have any questions you'd like answering on Freelance Life. And you can also email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com. If this has been at all helpful, then please like, rate and subscribe to the podcast so people can find us. And just a note to say that this podcast has been developed with the help of a grant from Sheffield Hallam University and was produced by students on the BA and MA journalism courses. Thanks for listening and do let us know if there's any topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Bye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye.